Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello, hello, and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Good afternoon. My name is Mark Rentschler. I'm an associate professor of mechanical engineering at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and I have a secondary appointment in the Department of Surgery at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my research is primarily focused on medical devices and surgical robotics. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you before, uh, what's the first robot you build and what is the feeling you had at the first time you built your own robot? Yes, my, my first robot, I had to think about this, uh, you know, it was, it was back when I was an undergrad uh, mm -hmm. student, I built um, a, a pair of robots to be used with uh, highway construction barrels. So the barrels you see on, on highways or, or interstates for directing traffic, we were building uh, robotic platforms under them. And so um, it, it was a lot of fun for me because I did all the, the mechanical design, all the electronics, all the software, all the communications. Mm -hmm and really was able to, to put together everything I had learned as an undergrad my, my senior year of, uh, of my undergraduate degree and built two of these robots and, and wrote a nice paper uh, with my advisor on that. So uh, incredible experience for me. Mm -hmm. And I would like to go back when you were a child. Have you ever like hear about robots that was like you're afraid from them? If there's any memories about when you were a child about robotics? Yeah, you know, the, the only things that, that I ever thought of with robots was how interesting they were. There, were, there was never any uh, fear or being frightened of them. Mm -hmm. um, it was just more of, uh, oh, this is interesting. It'll be uh, very interesting as these things come along um, as I grow up and you know what, what could be with these devices and mm -hmm. in these robotic uh, systems as, as, I, uh, as I grow up. Mm -hmm. So we would like to know more about what's the research interest specifically in soft robotics if you can tell us more about your interest specifically in soft robotics. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my background is primarily in uh, surgical robotics mm -hmm. and, and medical devices or, or autonomy related to medical devices. And so, you know, in, in the medical arena and in surgery, uh, a lot of what you're using are very compliant systems. And, you know, I, I've always been interested in trying to uh, study current systems, improve current systems, and look for, for clinical challenges mm -hmm. that specifically need uh, new devices, new robots, new solutions. And so um, one of the, the most interesting things that, that, that I'm passionate about these days is creating uh, devices uh, for endoscopy um, that can propel themselves. Mm -hmm. And these devices most likely will include soft robotic aspects to them. Um, both for engaging with tissue, manipulating tissue, mm -hmm. uh, locomotion. And we also have a, an interesting project related to uh, creating what I'll call synthetic organs. And not synthetic organs from the standpoint of being biological replicates, but synthetic organs that mimic uh, behaviors of organs in electromechanical aspects uh, mm -hmm. from a surgical planning standpoint and educational training area. And in many ways, the, these are 
soft tissues or soft robotic uh, devices that we're developing for that. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And I would like to ask concerning the synthetic tissue, uh, how you make sure that they exact the same performance as the, our origin? So is it challenging or, yeah? Yeah, it's it's very challenging, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, what does success look like? I think is another way to phrase the question. And you know, we're we're not quite to that point. We're still proving out how to uh, develop these actuators, sensors, integrated control, in sort of these modular um, and distributed systems mm-hmm. that that we create into these types of organs. Um, Looking at success, most of that's going to be measured against uh, surgeon or physician mm-hmm. feedback on how well they replicate. There's yeah. certain you know material properties we can uh, examine. There's plenty in the literature. There's also you know behavioral information we can get from uh, imaging, whether that's ultrasound or MRI, um, maybe even CT. So so there's different ways to to look for for accuracy and and. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the repeatability uh, compared to to what's being done now. Yeah. So let me ask you how you would define soft robotics from your perspective, and what do you think the most important questions should be considered while we're working in an aspect like material science, and and what kind of questions we have to consider? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think. I think soft robotics, just just that term alone, um, can be thought of as incredibly broad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, depending on how you de- you uh, define robotics, yeah. uh, robot, as well as softness. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, we we've had a reasonably uh, long period of of having robots, most mostly in an industrial setting. And I think we all kind of look at those as being much more rigid or non-compliant. And so when I look at soft robotics, I, I look at a very broad strokes of being any robot system that, that includes compliance, um, that includes flexibility, elasticity. And you can go all the way to, you know, incredibly compliant, you know, tissue soft um, mm-hmm. on that spectrum. And some of the, the, the challenges or the things that we have to to be concerned about, I think, are you know things like sensing um, efficiencies, uh, repeatability, robustness. In many ways, mm-hmm. uh, what we're trying to do with soft robots is not necessarily replace rigid robots, but look to uh, new capabilities that aren't necessarily able to be done today. Um, but when you're you're comparing against a rigid robot, you're comparing performance against uh, you know motors and sensors that have been around for hundreds of years. Uh, just the, the you know those those concepts, and you're looking at materials like steel mm-hmm. that have been around just as long. And so, you know these these problems have been thought about by many people for for many many uh, years and decades. Mm-hmm. And so it's not going to happen overnight. But you know I, I look at soft robotics not necessarily um, as a reason to replace rigid systems or more conventional robots but instead as a, a new way of looking at solving problems that maybe we weren't looking at solving before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I would like to ask you what you think the most misconception while you're working in this field and something really concerning you and you think it's really misconception. Yeah, so you know with soft robots, um, I think one of the, the big challenges there are the materials, the fabrication, mm-hmm. and, and somewhat tied to this is, is purely uh, energy conservation. You mm-hmm. know, you're working with soft materials now that, that are, are in many ways energy sinks. And so 
from an actuation and sensing standpoint, it's challenging. Um, your, your materials will change over time and the ability to control them uh, with any sort of feedback um, is likely going to need to be done without conventional models. So in many ways, model free approaches that, that are mm -hmm. adaptive with time. And so some, some of the challenges I think that are associated with that are just the consistency uh, of, you know, from a positioning standpoint, the repeatability, and then just the overall toughness or robustness of the systems physically, as well as from a performance standpoint. So, so plenty of opportunities as I see it. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned an interesting point about modeling free, and, and that's a really interesting point because sometimes I don't know if you agree with that. Do you think we really fully understand how the smart material is performing? Because sometimes we have the issue of reproducible results and sometimes we apply traditional control techniques that destroy the natural dynamic and that's the issue we face. I don't know how, how you're thought about this point. You know, I think I think that's a very fair point. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the materials we're using, uh, they're flexible, yeah. um, but but they also you know have, have viscous effects in them. Um, we we're always going to be dealing with hysteresis um, yeah. and things like that. And you know, in certain applications, that's something that you don't necessarily need to worry about. But mm -hmm. but in others. Um, and the way these are configured, it is something. And you're likely not going to create um, these materials without that. And so the ability to have adaptive controls or, or ways to, to augment that um, in real time without creating entirely new models mm. is, is likely going to be the most efficient route towards that. And, and again, you know, I, I see it as an incredible opportunity for the community uh, mm. to look at solving these problems and being able to do so with new tools that we have, new computational uh, capabilities that we have on board with our systems, which we likely, you know, didn't have years ago and, and certainly didn't have when a lot of the, I would say, original control theory was was coming around because um, we were limited on computation and in many ways we're not as limited today. Yeah, yeah. So do you agree that we have a certain point to have a fully soft robotics since you're interested in, in surgical applications. Do you think this is something like in micro scale we have to design um, Microsoft robots, fully soft robots? And what do you think would be the biggest technological roadblocks to have it? Yeah, you know, from a medical standpoint, um, I'm, I'm always a little concerned about how small you could go. Mm -hmm. You know, there's uh, there's always going to be limitations there and, and somewhat just from a, I'll say, clinical safety standpoint. Um, so so I don't know if, if that's going to be, at least in the near future, there, there's always, you know, that possibility further down the road. But I think that the big thing will be um, using these soft uh, robotic assist devices um, as a way to, to amplify your, your physician or your surgeon's capabilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the challenges I think with this will be, will be that consistency and, and repeatability. You know, when you use a device, whether it's a disposable device or a, you know, re-sterilizable and reusable device, it needs to perform, you know, within a very tight tolerance the same every time. Um, and so, you know, we're not really afforded many luxuries of mistakes inside the body. So I think those are the, the big challenges that we're going to have, um, but, but they're not insurmountable. You know, we, mm. we've moved away in many ways from, from using purely uh, surgical stainless uh, steel 
uh, devices that, that were autoclaved between uh, procedures to now in many ways disposable devices that can do things that these other more um, conventional devices were not capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to, as a society, dial in on the performance of these, and maybe they can't perform that procedure more than 50 times, mm -hmm. um, you know, fire that staple 50 times, but for that amount of uses, it works incredibly well. So I think similar types of challenges we'll have to, to address from a, a soft robot standpoint. Yeah. So how do you think about intelligence from robotics perspective? Yeah, so, you know, I don't know if there's anything special with, with soft robots compared to conventional robots, mm -hmm. but when I think of intelligence at its at its basic level, it's really the the uh, ability to have embedded problem solving when you're working in something I'll call untrained scenarios. Mm -hmm. So true intelligence, I think, is gathering and using all prior experience to make a decision in a new situation that you haven't been trained for before. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of people, um, you know, maturing from, from very young age, that really is what the intelligence is. And so, you know, we, we use intelligence in many ways um, as a term in the community. But to me, that's, that's really the, the ultimate is the ability to train um, your device or your robot um, to a certain extent but to allow the device then to use that knowledge in an untrained scenario and do it effectively and efficiently. And to, to me, that, that's a high level of success from an intelligence standpoint. Mm -hmm. So if we speak about soft robotics, do you, how do you see that progress in terms of intelligence? Because there's two categories we have, people sometimes working on passive material and applying traditional control techniques, or maybe using embedded intelligence in terms of using a smart material. So how you, so you see this the intelligence so far in robotics? Is still the, we need a lot of work or how do you see it? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think there's a tremendous amount of work yet to be done, mm -hmm. um, but I think it's coming quickly. You know, you look back simply to where we were maybe five years ago and we're in a very different place now. And so I, I do think it's coming along. I, I think we are probably in a little bit of a, a pause here before we get to where we likely need it to mm -hmm. be. Um, but, you know, there's there's tremendous amounts and I'll speak from a medical side. There's just tremendous amounts of data coming from our medical centers, whether that's, you know, um, imaging data mm -hmm. or uh, procedural outcome data. But all of this sort of information is is you know, flowing into the intelligence communities. Mm -hmm. and, and we're not very far away um, from, from really having um, what I'll say sort of endowed intelligence in, in our devices, in our hospitals that are helping physicians make decisions uh, for, mm -hmm. for the best interest of the patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think also robots have to be like soft robotics, have been designed to feel pain? Do you think this is something really significant or it's just hooks because we, we don't know how, how is this emotions or pain is true in robotics so far. But do you think soft robotics must have this part integrated in? I, I you know, well, it all depends on the application. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if uh, and I'll, again, I'll go back to medical. If, if for some reason, you know, we have a device that, that needs to sense, 
you know, a certain amount of stress or strain, and we can translate that back as some sort of a threshold. Um, I think that's very helpful. Um, I think we're, we're a significant ways away from, from having devices with intelligence at a level that, that I think pain or any mm-hmm. discomfort needs to be taken into account. Um, but that's just sort of my, my view on that. I, I think there, there's tremendous value though, if we are trying to, to um, add uh, personification into the robot as a way to help um, people or help patients, um, I think there's tremendous value there. Um, I might characterize it slightly different than pain, mm-hmm. but I think I, I think that translates um, into what I'm trying to share there. Yeah. So my question now about the design of robotics, and I think you're really interested in this part because you have a lot of research in, in this part of my design optimization. So do you think simulation really can be sufficient enough what we have the tools available now can really help us in predicting the failure of the system or how it will be behave this according to smart material? How do you see the current tools, avail- available current tools can help us in design? Do you think still there's limitation or shortage on that or, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think there there are um, a number of capabilities from a simulation standpoint um, that, that can allow us uh, to, to at least have insight into the way these devices and robots are performing. Um, you know, the, the ability to um, entirely trust the simulation, I think, is, in, in, mm. is incredibly challenging mm. um, simply because our materials will change over time. Mm. Um, our, our environments are likely going to be different than our simulations. Mm. Um, but I think that's okay. You know, I think, I think we're at a point where we have the capability from a sensing standpoint, um, a computational standpoint, a data storage standpoint, um, to do interesting and adaptive control systems, model-free approaches that we probably weren't even able to do 10 years ago. And so I think that's going to be a, a key enabling feature um, as we move this uh, field of research forward. Mm-hmm. So could you please tell us more about the challenges that you so- we want to solve now in your research? Challenges you have? Yeah, you know, all everything um, that I've kind of shared with you goes back to, I think, really looking at ways to, to amplify physician and surgeon capabilities mm-hmm. um, in, in the, the operating uh, theater. and. You know, one of the, the big things I think is looking to, to create devices um, where compliance or, or softness is an added value. Um, it's not soft or compliant for the sake of being compliant or soft, but it's that way to enable you to do things that you weren't able to do before. Get to, to interesting portions or areas of the body um, that you weren't able to reach before without, you know, major dissection or surgery to get to that point. And so I, I really think there, there's a lot of opportunities there and much of our work is starting to move in that direction as well as trying to endow these devices with some level of intelligence mm-hmm. or feedback um, that they can provide the physician to, to augment or amplify the, the physician capabilities. Mm-hmm. So from your experience, do you think we have a challenge in understanding different language? Because now it's of robotics, you highlighted some people understand material science, but when you work in a project and you don't understand the same language, do you think it's really challenges or it's it's perfect to work and you don't understand how what is the terms of other um, and, and other fields like smart material or control aspect? Do you think we have a challenge or we can overcome it? 
Well, I look at it as an, uh, an opportunity, not necessarily a negative challenge. You know, mm-hmm. I, I do think um, if, if you are in one of these sort of areas and, and you're sort of siloed in that area, it can be really challenging. And I think you're probably limited on the, the impact you can make um, in your field um, in that area if you're working in this field of soft robotics. Um, I speak from, from personal experience. We have an incredible uh, mm-hmm. team that, that works on a couple of different projects together. And, and even in my lab, my lab has four different uh, PIs all mm-hmm. linked together in one large area. And the, the beauty of it is that we really have material science, we have additive manufacturing, we have controls, we have electromechanical design. And the, the beauty is that our students are constantly interacting. And so I believe that, that you need to be an expert, you know, in a specific domain, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to understand and translate across multiple areas. And so, you know, I think those are gonna be the, the most successful researchers, those that have tight collaborations and can speak um, these different languages. You might, you know, come mm. from a, a robotic control background um, with no material science experience, yeah. but if you're not able to adapt and at least understand the challenges, uh, the, the possibilities to be creative in that area, mm-hmm. um, it, it can be really challenging. And so um, it, I don't look at it as necessarily a negative, it's just a, it's a new opportunity to, to be creative and collaborative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So could you please tell us what is the most interesting project you were involved in about soft robotics? Something you think it's more meaningful and interesting for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so I just sort of mentioned our lab. Um, we, we have this large uh, NSF project. It's a cyber physical systems project mm-hmm. working on something we're calling S-tissue, which I described earlier. And, and the beauty of that, I think, is it's really allowing us to think from fundamental principles. How do you integrate actuation, mm-hmm. sensing, control, um, all in a modular standpoint um, and, and create these sort of uh, multifunctional materials that, that are capable of being used in a number of different applications. And so that project's gone on for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. but it's really starting to bear some, some really uh, great outcomes. Um, and I think it's, it's just part of the, the process of us coming from all different backgrounds and melding together with our students and, and really being creative in solving some of these challenges. Mm-hmm. And what kind of limitation you have in this project? And it's something limited yet. You know, I, I don't know that, that we have really any limitations. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing was really getting everyone educated um, in the first year or two as yeah. to the limitations in the different, you know, I'll call them subfields or disciplines that, that are really playing a role in the soft robotics uh, project that we're working on. And, and that's not trivial. You know, every, yeah. every discipline has its limitations. It's... Uh, levers that you can pull to, to be creative and, and understanding where those opportunities are took a while. But yeah. you know, we, we've got a great team, a great set of faculty, a great set of students that, that I really think have come together very nicely and can work incredibly collaboratively right now and, uh, and solve some problems that I don't think would have been easily solved uh, a few years ago when we started the project. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the most promising project or interesting one has been done so far, uh, sorry, has been done by other research groups in soft robotics? You know, I, I think that's a, a challenging question. You know, I, I don't want to necessarily single anyone out okay. because I, I think a lot of, of interesting um, ideas, concepts, 
um, that have been tried. You know, from from the most part, what I've seen thus far are different aspects. You know, a component here, a component there, um, all in- incredibly well thought of. Um, what, what I'm looking forward to is in the, the coming years to start to see these different um, ideas come together into more full systems mm-hmm. um, that, that are really integrated together. It's certainly something that we're working on, um, but it, it'll be fun to, to see these um, ideas that, that have started in sort of one area of a you know, more conventional robotic system um, start to, to morph and merge together into a, a larger overall mm-hmm. system. Yeah. So how do you see the progress of soft robotics in the last five years, for example? Do you see how do you see this progress was? Yeah, you know, I think a lot that has been done to this point is probably more on the uh, fabrication and Mm -hmm. material side um, than anything else. Um, But I I think that was what needed to happen first. I think Mm -hmm. more of the the, the control capabilities, the sensing capabilities, and even in some ways the actuation of these devices mm-hmm. will be coming online more more frequently here in the, in the coming years and integrating with these novel sort of um, uh, embodiments of these soft robots. And so I think that's going to be what's most interesting in the coming years. Mm-hmm. So when you look to the future, how you would imagine like 20 years or 15 years coming, how you would imagine soft robotic systems, especially in surgical aspect? Yeah, I think that's interesting. You know, I I can see us going a a couple of different ways. I can see, you know, robots that that are multifaceted Mm -hmm. um, in that, you know, they can they can solve a lot of different problems, be used for a lot of different procedures, sort of all in one. Um, I can also see uh, on the medical side, fast fabrication of Mm. of these robots that are more patient specific um, so they can do um, or do things inside the body that are that are uniquely designed for that patient's anatomy or that that patient's disease or or challenge that they're facing Um, so you know there's probably going to be a a fine line drawn between that but I, i think those types of capabilities will be coming online um, more of this patient-specific medicine, treating the person instead of treating sort of the average. Mm-hmm. And I think soft robotics has a unique uh, place in that um, if we can dial in on the, the repeatable um, capabilities of these devices, um, especially from a fabrication standpoint. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be one of the, the big contributions on the medical side. Yeah. So if we speak a scenario like cancer treatment or cancer surgery removal, what do you think in, if we have this advanced robots, what do you think the real challenges here? Because we still doesn't have 100% success even in all case scenario to treat uh, this disease. Do you have any ideas what could be the real challenge here? And I think much what could be worrying about when robots can make decision instead of the surgeon. In that case, do you think this is something we can trust as well in the decision? Because sometimes, yeah, you know, if, yeah. if you're if you're asking about you know the the robot um, software or otherwise making decisions mm-hmm. about uh, the treatment, um, maybe you know, let's say removing of a tumor and yeah. and guiding or making decisions about the the margins of the tissue that are being removed. Yeah. you know, I, I do think that we will get to a point where where that is 
established as the gold standard. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you if that's going to be in two years or 20 years, but I think we will get there. I think it's important to, to appreciate how, how well surgeons do, but surgeons aren't infallible and, and surgeons aren't at 100% either. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the capability of um, getting further, you know, that extra 2%, if we can do that with intelligence or robot assist or any capability to amplify the surgeon, I think that'll be a win. And and I don't know how soon that will happen, but I, I'm confident that that will happen. Mm-hmm. And maybe sooner than we think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So concerning this point, do you think that we have to come like a sixth regulation since we use this metric in soft robotics and some of them toxic? And this is like a limitation in, in certain projects. So do you think the field have to come up with like uh, regulation and, and ethics you have to follow because or just we have to work and uh, different groups what do you think about this point yeah I think um, just just robotics in general you yeah. know when you start having robots or, or um, any decision-making uh, capability um, the the ethics comes in um, very strongly and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those areas that, that I don't know that, that most of us in the field have, have really thought about because a lot of the, the robots we've designed are either, you know, more remotely controlled or pre-programmed. They, they generally don't have um, uh, artificial intelligence. Some are, are autonomous, some are less autonomous, but many of them aren't making uh, life and death type decisions. Yeah. Um, whether we're looking at at self-driving cars in this area, yeah. or looking at robotic assist devices from a surgical standpoint, or even looking just at, at uh, deep learning or, or some sort of artificial intelligence from a medical imaging standpoint and guiding the surgeon yeah. on, on where the cancer is and where it's not. Um, the the ethical challenges with that um, are obviously there, and mm. it's going to be be one of those things that are going to go hand in hand with with us as a society just determining what is valued, what needs to be done, um, where these uh, capabilities uh, can improve um, our our well being, and, and where maybe they won't. So mm-hmm. um, definitely plenty of things um, on the horizon that that will need to be uh, debated, uh, discussed, and decided upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's led me to the question how we can ensure that soft robotics will be beneficial to humanity as a whole. How we can make sure that while we're working in the lab, for example, that our project and funding we have leading to this point. I think that's a, an incredibly challenging question. Um, you know, I, I've, I've only ever met people that, that really have. Um, positive societal impact at the front of their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think we all all come to research, all come to, to our work with, with implicit bias. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think a big, big aspect of trying to to make sure that that we're not, um, you know, hurting any communities or in bringing all communities in is really pushing for diversity, um, diversity of thought, diversity of background, um, in our labs as we do research because we, we can try all day long and, and we should to, to make sure that, that we're trying to be positively impactful to society but each and every one of us only comes from a certain cross-section of society with a limited set of experiences and so I think at the, the fundamental core bringing in as many uh, sets of thought um, 
backgrounds um, into your, your research is highly important and necessary to try to hit this before you know it becomes a problem um and, and that that's a challenge and i think the community in general has struggled with that for a while but mm-hmm. I, I think it's uh, at the the forefront of most people's mind at this point mm-hmm. yeah so let me ask you how you foresee soft robotics in industrial sector do you think that soft robotics really have enough room inside the market or still challenging yeah, I think that that's a great question. You know, I think industry has done um, pretty well mm-hmm. with the, the robotic systems that in many ways were, were developed in the 80s. And, you know, I, I don't know that, that we should be or that any of us really are looking at creating soft robots to, to replace these um, more conventional robotic systems. I think that the place for soft robots um, in industry is um, new applications, whether that's uh, solving things that, that people were were inspecting before or being used to, to assemble devices that, that people weren't being used before for or even other robots. So I think it's all about new applications with these soft robots. And, and sure, there's going to be plenty of things that, that are replaced with, with soft robots, but I don't think that's that's mm-hmm. the primary focus as much as um, in, endowing these robots with new capabilities um, mm-hmm. to, to solve some of these challenges from an industry standpoint. Yeah. It's still challenging because when we look to the market, there's no much robotics company. And, and that's a question when we move from the lab to industry, sometimes different aspects we have to consider. And that's a question, how, how what makes a robotics company successful? If we develop in the lab something and we go out, how we can make sure it's successful? Yeah, you know, I think I think that the need is the big thing there, you know, from a, a soft robot standpoint. We can solve a lot of the fundamental technical challenges in our in our research in our labs, and that will will you know undoubtedly morph into some sort of technological solution. Um, but solutions in search of problems generally don't pan out well from an industry standpoint or a company standpoint. And so, I think it's all about to be successful as a soft robotics company is looking for for those areas that are unmet at this point mm-hmm. with, with current robotic systems and sol- uh, solving those problems by, by creating soft robotic systems that do solve those problems. And and without that, I you know, it's a little bit of that solution looking for the problem and, mm-hmm. and that's a tough place to be. Yeah. I would like to ask you about the integration about AI and soft robotics since AI mostly based on black box modeling and and when we speak about material science, sometimes at least we have to have understanding, some understanding how these materials behave. How do you see this integration if we want to apply some AI techniques and algorithms with black box modeling to smart material, which is need somehow understanding? How, how do you see this integration? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a tricky question. Um, I, I, I look at materials and, and AI from a couple of standpoints. I, mm-hmm. I do think that we are getting to the point where we will be integrating, um, I'll say, computational capabilities yeah. with, within materials um, at some point here moving forward. There, there's ways of doing it now, but I think it'll be more seamless as we move forward. Mm-hmm. And once you once you begin to, to add computational uh, capabilities into materials, you know, AI is, is simply, you know, uh, one of those aspects um, of, of a tool that you can use with your computation. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, 
maybe to your point, Marwa, the the ability to use AI to help design yeah. the materials you need to to create a structure or a structure yeah. with certain capabilities mm-hmm. is certainly there, and and I see that coming online mm-hmm. um, much more more quickly here as we start to use these advanced algorithms, um, learning capabilities, um, things that that we would likely been under the term AI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and use these capabilities to help us solve problems that, that maybe we didn't think of originally mm-hmm. of, of different uh, material constructs or materials with, with interesting geometries uh, mm-hmm. that, that can solve the problem that, that we're fundamentally looking at. That's very interesting, yeah. So from your perspective, how, how do you think lay people think about robotics in general? When you speak to people outside the field, are they excited about what you're doing? have any kind of discussion with people outside the field? Yeah, I think that that's interesting. You know, I I don't know that that I've ever met anyone that, that really has thought about soft robots mm. uh, who's not really in the field. You know, I think most people think of a robot and they think of something that, that you know, we probably had sketches of back in the 1980s or 90s, mm. something, you know, very similar or, or very, very simple. Um, a robotic device that that probably is almost humanoid looking, um, but but probably with a, a pretty um, pretty stiff exoskeleton, yeah. or at least composed primarily of what I'll call conventional uh, materials. So, I think when when people think of soft robotics, they likely think of those humanoids. Mm-hmm but maybe with materials that are more human-like, um, at least covering them. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I think that's probably about the, the limit of, of where people that are not in the area have gone. And, and mm. part of that's simply because I don't know how many soft robots compared to, I'll call hard robots or conventional robots, that they've actually interacted with um, or used um, in their, their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. That's interesting also. I think this is about how they think about, like, connection with like human robots and and when they look of robotics maybe the, it's about connection do you think about that is like how to connect with a robot and like companion or something yeah i think there there's um, aspects of that in that you know a robot will always be thought of as a robot mm. unless it starts to take on more humanoid features. And and we've talked about a few of those things today, including emotions, um, as well as sort of the physical appearance. And so I think there is something there. Yeah, yeah. So I would like to ask you about the funding, since most of funding is public funding. So how, how do you think that we can integrate public and soft robotics or robotics in general and make them aware what is happening around them? since? There's few companies or just few people leading how our strides are going to be in the future. Do you think we have to be more people outside the robotics just to be aware of what's happening around them? How we can engage them more to be aware? Yeah, I think that's great. You know, the um, a lot of what's happening in the United States with federal funding mm-hmm. is is the need to tie it to an application, and and that's by no means to say that that the federal government and funding agencies aren't interested in, mm-hmm. in much more basic science or blue sky research, but there, there is an overall push to at least have a, a path or two towards something that, that's tangible, um, that can positively impact uh, society. And so I think that's that's driven um, for, for a number of reasons, but, but I think that's incredibly helpful. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the work that, that we work on 
really is tied back to to clinical challenges. Yeah. But we've been able to to boil that down into some really fundamental basic science questions that that not only impact the, the medical um, community, but also uh, a number of other areas. And so I think that's that's an aspect that's being driven for, from top down, but but also from bottom up. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think most. Uh, younger researchers and researchers that that are in the field right now are are looking at ways of um, trying to positively impact uh, society and wearing that on their sleeves of making sure they share uh, that impact and in that impact might be 10 years down the road it might be mm-hmm. longer but but sharing that that vision of, of making an impact um, and, and I think that's going to be resonating with society as we move forward yeah that's interesting point also and that leaves a question about the social inequality, because most of research now develop about robotics in general, and there is like concern in certain number of years people will lose jobs, and this is for a certain point could happen, as we can see now some jobs are replaced by robots. So how do you think this can be solved? Because most of the tech companies and it's based on capitalism, and how how do you see this could be solved? And make sure while we have advanced robots, we don't this will not lead to social inequality at the same time. Yeah, I think I think those are, are incredibly important uh, considerations. Um, what what I like to think of in, in these situations is to look back and, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, mm. computers were going to replace all sorts of jobs. And yeah. then, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, the Internet was going to replace all these jobs. Mm. And, and I won't sit here and argue that jobs were not replaced um, they were, but but an entirely another sector of jobs came online, mm. and in, in many ways they they were more technical jobs, I would say, um, and so I, I don't see that being necessarily any different here. You know, we're none of us are going to be able to sit around and have robots do the job for us. Mm. We're still going to need to do a job um, if we are to look to have an income, and I think there's a, a tremendous. Um, need for for maintenance of, of these types of systems, um, fabrication of these systems, um, and um, it might be skill sets that some workers don't have. Um, but but that's a challenge that that we need to accept as a society, and look for ways to to embrace um, and mm-hmm. reskilling. Uh, people that, that are interested in moving into these fields and, and providing an infrastructure that allows them to be educated and to develop new skills. Mm-hmm. You know, we're at a point in society where it's it's going to be incredibly rare for somebody to to get a degree mm. and never need to, to have any additional education. Um, it, it's just not going to happen. Things are moving very quickly. And so I think it's incumbent upon all of us to, to try to make sure that these opportunities exist so yeah. people can pivot from their current skill set to additional skill sets um, to continue to move forward. Yeah, that's a great point. So I would like to ask you, how, how do you think about innovation? Where's it come from, basically, if we just summarize? It, it, of course, hard work is important, but to be innovative, and how, how does this come from? Well, I think we could probably have another uh, couple-hour-long podcast on innovation, Marwa. That, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I think you know that the the traits I've observed um, with people that that are the most innovative, I think, is a willingness to fail. Mm. Um, you know, you can always consider the the pros and cons of a decision, but ultimately, you have to make it. You have to try it, and you have to accept that more likely than not. 
the outcome you desire is not going to be there. And in the the simple thing to do, it, it's a challenge, but but it's very simple. Is that you simply need to fail and learn and then pivot. And so I, when I look at the the most innovative people that that I've had the the fortunate opportunity to work with, it's mm-hmm. the people that that are willing to take the risk, mm-hmm. that are willing to to try to mitigate that risk by having contingencies but ultimately are making a decision, moving forward, learning from it, and then pivoting. And so I think that's an incredibly strong marker of those that are innovative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So do you think ego is important for the researcher? Yeah, I, I do, you know, um, and, and I mean that in a very positive standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had mentioned, you know, what I think uh, innovation requires. And if you don't have the conviction um, that that hmm. you can can make these decisions and and have a confidence in you that that you are right and it is going to work, but but have the humility to know that you know it might not work out and you need to pivot. Um, I think all of that plays into ego. I think you you do have to to be willing to to draw a line in the sand on what you think needs to happen and go make it happen. And so so I think. Um, having having that ego is is incredibly valuable and, and probably a, a requirement. Yeah. Okay. So, do you have any robots at your home? You know that that's that's a great question. You know, we don't. Um, <laughs> I, I live a pretty analog lifestyle at home, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I, I I think it all depends on your definition of robot. You know. Um, we, we do have our, our phones that, that we can ask kind of anything we want to learn about mm-hmm. and, and uh, our, our phones will talk back to us and things like that. But um, I, I do have three young children and, yeah. and they certainly are interested in robots. And so I can see us building our own robots um, for, for all sorts of applications at home in the coming years. Oh, very nice. So I, I would like to ask you if there's any inspiring book you read and reflecting in your working style or thinking, we're way of thinking, inspiring books you have read before. You know, there, there's a lot of different. Um, Just one, yeah. Uh, di- different ones that, that I'm interested in. You know, I, I still gravitate back to The Martian. I, I think it's just an incredible read. I, I think it's an incredible story. Um, and I, I love that in many ways it's rooted in, in fundamental physics, which which mm. I think is just tremendous. Um, so, you know, it's 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 the engineer's book, if you will, and, and I greatly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So as your B3 supervisor, what are the main qualities you think that student must have? Yeah, I think there's a tenacity um, that I that I look at mm. that has has been in the, the students I've advised that have been most successful. And and part of that is that, you know, willingness to, to risk everything, the, the willingness to fail, um, to have no fear in doing that, and, and trying to fail quickly to succeed faster. You know, I, I think those are, are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a PhD student, you know, you can um, get pulled in a lot of different directions, have a lot of different ideas. And so the most successful people are those that, that I think can, can focus on the end goal and keep your obstacles small. There's always gonna be obstacles, but but try to keep them uh, marginalized so that you can focus and move things forward on a day-to-day basis. And so um, that's a lot of, of effort, but I think those are some of the, the key uh, um, characteristics of the most successful PhD students I've worked with. Mm-hmm. And lastly, what it was best advice was given to you, was it personally, professionally, and was like a life changing to you? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, the best advice I, I've received is that, you know, you're going to have ups and downs, hills and valleys, but but things are never as good as they seem and they're never as bad as they seem. Mm-hmm. And, and in research, I think that's incredibly important um, to try to keep that even keel um, because, um, you know, every day is new. Um, there's going to be ups and downs and, and you have to just, again, keep your eye on the prize, keep your eye on the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're coming to the end. I would like to ask you if you have any final words of robotics community. Yeah, you know, as I've sort of mentioned throughout here, Marwa, you know, the the next decade, I think, is going to be incredibly mm-hmm. um, fulfilling, challenging, and, and it's going to be something to, to participate in um, in this field of soft robotics. I think as we move forward, if we all keep an open mind, if we're willing to try uh, fail and pivot, um, you know, there, there's an incredible amount of a positive outcome that, that we as a community can make uh, on society. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Ed. At the end podcast, I would like to thank you for being with us. And above my triple E soft robotics, CC. thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you.